Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Alicia Jusevic, a freelance photographer and photojournalist based in Portland, Oregon. Alicia's been making a name for herself on staff with various newspapers throughout the U.S., and more recently for her freelance coverage of the wildfires in the part of Southern Oregon where she grew up. Alicia, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and and to talk. You and I have uh, been at a lot of events together, uh, mainly through ASMP in in as part of our Oregon chapter. I think I first met you at maybe one of our print pint print and pint events a couple of years ago, but um, I'm just going to let you really quick introduce yourself uh, for those who don't already know who you are and, um, and we'll take it from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm Alicia Jusevic. So I'm a local freelance photographer, recently transitioned into the freelance world. Um, I have a background in newspaper photography. So worked, um, went to school actually down in Eugene at the U of O, graduated about six, six years ago now, and went straight into newspaper internships in, in Oregon, Texas, and Indiana, and then worked at a newspaper in Indiana for a few years, then came back to the West Coast, worked up at the Columbian in Vancouver. So, so yeah, I have a background in mainly um, in documentary and newspaper photography, and hoping to continue continue to doing that as a freelancer, as well as kind of branch, branching into some other types of photography as well. Fantastic. Well, you are the first person that I've that, that I've had on the podcast that has a photojournalism background. That, oh, okay. That that's, so that's kind of cool. And that was one yeah. of the reasons why, right, when I first started thinking of people I wanted to interview, um, I, I think I've mentioned this before when we've talked, that I um, I love watching the work you put out because it's so different from what I do or have any experience with. Yeah, and I, thank and you. And I'm always, I'm always just sitting there kind of like mouth open going like, you know, <laughs> whoa, that's oh, really cool. <laughs> Hopefully a good whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, basically, I it, it's definitely a good, it's definitely a good mouth open. Uh, whoa, this is this is really cool <laughs> stuff. So, I've I've been really uh, impressed, but it also has made me look at other photojournalism work. It kind of opened my eyes a little bit. It made yeah. me made me pay attention to other work too, yeah, which was I, which is kind of cool. I think I mean that's what I love about ASMP and going to these different photo events in Portland. I think we have such a vibrant an amazing photo community here in Portland and getting, but when we come together at these events, I think there's, there's not a ton of, of photo journal or freelance photojournalists in Portland. There is kind of right now because there's this, this spotlight on Portland in the news right now, but, but normally there's not a ton of, of photo journal, freelance photojournalists. So those groups and photo events always bring together all different types of photographers. Right. And I love getting to, to talk to people that are doing a totally different type of photography than me. Cause it just, it helps push all of us to try new things. And yeah. Well, and it's interesting how many people who are, you know, freelance is a weird, it's such an all encompassing kind of title or, um, 
job description because you have everybody from, you know, like before we started recording, you mentioned Leah, uh, who is a a mutual friend here in Portland and and Leah um, and Chris have this great business that is primarily commercial lifestyle at this point. And they, but they still do some photojournalism work. Yeah, but I was they, talking to her about that. They have such an, an amazing blend. And then they bring that style of their documentary work into their other work that I think makes yeah. it just so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, and uh, Jan is like that too. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to see that there's these these mixes of, of kind of all that different stuff. So, um, so tell me. So you mentioned freelance, but when we were last kind of hanging out, the last time we yeah. hung out at an event, you were working uh, full-time at the Columbian. The Columbian, yes. Yeah, so I I worked up at the Columbian for a um, little more than, than three and a half years, I think. It was about the three and a half year mark. Um, and yeah, I... I I left. This is my second week um, officially self-employed. Oh, this is so totally very, fresh. So very fresh. Yeah. So very, very recently. So, but yeah, um, it was a great position, and I, I came, um, came from a small community paper in Jasper, Indiana, which was a, it was a pretty well-known photo paper, um, but also a small community paper. So the Columbian was similar, very much a community paper. The Oregonian being right next door is more of like the Metro paper. There's a lot larger sports in, in Portland. And back in the day when the Columbian had, you know, six to, at one point they might've even had up to 10 photographers, but a bigger photo team and they would cover, um, you know, the blazers and the timbers in Portland. But then as, you know, newspapers started to get to get smaller, they mainly just, they would cover just prep sports and then use wire content for, for a lot of the Portland coverage. Right. Um, but it was a little bit bigger than, than the last paper I worked for in terms of the city size mm-hmm. and being so close to Portland. Um, but yeah, I loved it. And it's working at newspapers. You really, you really dive into a community in a way that, that you wouldn't with, with other types of jobs. Cause you're really seeing into all of these different jobs throughout the community every day with all these different stories. So, so I live in Portland, but then work in Vancouver. So it would get this whole other, you know, experience of, of the Pacific Northwest that's different than, than the Portland area. Right. No, that's, that's, uh, I can imagine. And it's, uh, but you don't get the benefit. You're doing it backwards because you're supposed to live in yeah. Washington and, <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't for the tax benefit. I I get it. They I feel like people in Vancouver would call it the hipster tax, the Portland hipster tax living over in 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 Portland. But but yeah, I loved Vancouver and got to um the community there was really amazing and and it's still a family owned paper, which is really great. So I gotta work on a little bit of everything. I mean, really working as a, a community newspaper photojournalist, you're not, you know, just doing metro news or just doing sports photography where sometimes at, at bigger papers they'll have more specifically focused fo- photographers um but we would do everything from prep sports to news to you know courthouse assignments to longer stories and portraits um so a little bit of of everything which i really liked yeah that's cool that's really cool okay so uh you went from that to now doing freelance, what was the thing that made that happen? Yeah, I think 
I think I've been th- I've been thinking about the possibility. I think for a long time, I have a lot of, of friends and colleagues who have transitioned into the freelance world. Um, but yeah, I think it was different reasons. I I wanted to branch out and be able to to work on bigger um, projects on my own and get to just kind of to, to get to start a new a new chapter and work with more different people and kind of get to try out some other areas. Like I said, doing more assisting with, with commercial and lifestyle photography and then getting to work on these bigger projects still with, with news outlets and um, editorial work. So yeah, I think just something I've been thinking about for a while. No, that's, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. New, it, it felt like the right time and um, to take that next step and push myself to push myself and push my work kind of, to the next the next level in the next chapter so yeah yeah <clears throat> how much did the the freelance work you were do- that you've been doing since covid started how much has that played into that decision and how much did it allow you to go okay i'm able to find this work i'm able to have these relationships to make this go yeah I, that's a good question i think i think now is kind of a weird abnormal time so it's hard to base I think it can be dangerous to base any decision off of what life is has been like just with the changes of every industry during COVID um but I think I was able to do to do work down in Southern Oregon with the fires and some other freelance work here in Portland just because of my hours being being cut during COVID I had more time to try to pursue other freelance work so I think that was part of it, but I, I also was thinking about it. Um, if, you know, if that hadn't happened, would I still want to make this decision? Because I know um, once things start to get better with COVID and um, Portland is generally not like not such a central point for news in the U S and there is a lot that's happening here, but it's not, it's not always the busiest place for a ton of freelance assignments like San Francisco right. or New York or other cities. So, um, so I think I also had to make a lot of considerations around that with what else can I be pursuing, pursuing and working on without just relying on, on newspaper assignments, because I know a lot sure. of other photographers in Portland do an array of a lot of different things to make it, make it work. Well, it seems like that's more, more and more in the last, I've, I've only been really in the photo business for, it's coming up on six years now, uh, pretty soon and five years, only five years. And it's interesting to watch even just in that time frame how many people have pulled away from being specialists to having broader, uh, a broader range of things that they do. Yeah. I know that I think you talked about that. I think you talked about that on one of your last podcasts with one of the photographers about like, what are all of the different things that you do to make up your income stream? And I thought about that a lot. And I I think a lot of people, you have to consider that before making the jump into freelances. Okay. What are my monthly expenses? How am I going to cover that? How, you know, how am I budgeting? How am I saving up if, you know, the first, the first six months or, first year is, you know, you're just getting your feet under you and making it work. So um, considering all the different, different ways. And I know a lot of freelancers that 
get a part-time job or do other, you know, other little things to make it work in the first year while they're, while they're getting the hang of things. So I think being able to do some freelance this past year, and even before COVID happened, I was able to start doing some freelance. And I think that, like you said, that has helped to start build those relationships and do that as well on the side just to get things going. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And well, the other thing that's that's different, you know, when we, I've had a pretty wide variety of different kinds of photographers that I've interviewed. And the one thing that's been interesting is that most people, when they talk about making the leap into being a full-time photographer, they're not talking about, they're talking about making the leap to being a photographer from doing something else completely. What you're talking about, the the moving to being full-time as a freelancer, you're not coming in and learning how to be a pro photographer. You already have that down. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a significant difference from what I've seen. Like you're the first person that has kind of said, oh yeah, I'm making this jump. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, but you already have your workflow down. You already have a lot of the gear you're going to need. You already have, you you know how to do this. So it's really, all you got to do is find the business now. Yeah. 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 That's no, that's very true. I already have, for when I've worked at newspapers, I always, everything I'm using at work, computer and all my gear and everything is is the newspapers but then since sure. I've been doing this on the side and as well I have you know you're right I have all that I have the workflow and the cameras so, and the computer and everything so that's an interesting question that I'm actually I'm actually curious because I don't I I didn't think about that like I've kind of known that when you work there they have their own kit that you're using yeah and it was interesting because one of my early episodes was with um uh, his name is Patrick Ford, and he's the staff photographer at Taylor Guitars. Oh, cool! And he, yeah, he was talking about that he actually bought his first camera since he's worked there. Okay, he didn't. He actually didn't have a kit of his own because oh. Taylor has. I mean, they're a huge company. They have. They had a really nice kit. So, so I didn't think about that. That, that as you were working as a staff photographer, you're using equipment that belongs to the newspaper. Yeah. What was that? What was that like transitioning? Did you just have? was your kit kind of like sort of a duplicate kind of interchangeable or did you have, or did you have completely separate stuff? Yeah, I had completely separate stuff. So throughout college, I always used Canon gear and had, um, I think right towards the end of college, I bought one of my good friends, old Canon Mark threes that I still have. And is actually, I'm getting a new shutter in it. Cause it had like 300,000 something um, shutter count on it. So I'm replacing the shutter and, and then I'm hoping to sell that because I was able to get a Mark four. But yeah, so I had, and then I eventually got another Mark three. So I had two Mark threes. And when I worked in Indiana, they also used Canon, Canon. So it was similar, but, but I had my own cameras from them. And then when I transitioned to the Columbian, they used Nikon. So I learned how to use Nikon gear and was using um, partway through my time there, they were able to get a D5. So I had a, a 750 and a D5. Okay. And then we had um, 24 to 70 and 70 to 200 are pretty standard like news yeah. lenses. And in my, my personal gear, I, I have a 70 to 200 and 24 to 70 and then um, some little primes too. But it was, it's pretty odd going from using, because I would use an icon at work. And then there were times sometimes when I'd run 
to a freelancing like right after work when I was done with my shift and then I yeah you're going to zoom and it's like the buttons are opposite and it would (laughs) sometimes it would take I mean it was only a few seconds and I would I would be able to switch in my mind but they're mostly the same um and then I've used Fuji one of my good friends uses Fuji and um after seeing his gear I was able to get a little x100f used from someone off craigslist that i got for traveling because it's so small it looks Mm -hmm. like a little film camera and with the little fixed lens it was it was really fun for traveling and it kind of made me fall back in love with just doing it for fun again i mean I'll, i'll always love photography in you know when i'm not working as well but it's kind of fun to have a camera that feels a little different because then it it just kind of pushes me out of the mode I might be in when I'm working and just makes forces me to think differently. And that's it's, great. A, it's a fun little camera. So, yeah, well, I, I actually had the X 100 S. Oh yes. Okay. Five years ago. Yeah. Whenever it was, whenever it was new, I, I bought one. Um, I bought that and an X T one just for an X T one I had for like 15 minutes. I mean, it was cause I was, I was still a Sony shooter, which I yeah. still am. But I picked up that Fuji and it was awesome. Took it on a, on some trips. We, I went. On, I took it on vacation to Hawaii. Nice. Um, I took it okay. backpacking, all kinds of stuff. It was great. And I ended up. The only reason I quit using it was because Sony also makes a little fixed lens. They do. Okay. Mill- yeah. Yeah. And so, it, the uh, the one I have, the files are interchangeable with my work ca- with my main camera. They look exactly the same. It's the oh, same so it's, same yeah. megapixels. The it's the same sensor basically. Yeah. So, but I, I love that having a little tiny fixed, you know, prime yeah. lens camera like that. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Having the fixed lens too, I think it can, it can push you out of that, that comfort zone. I think you can get in with having a zoom lens and it makes you like, I remember in journalism school, photo professors encouraging using prime sometimes. Cause they're like, move your body, like get closer, right. <laughs> like physically try to put yourself closer. Don't just rely on the zoom. So that's a good, it's a good little technique to. There's all kinds of quotes about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's great. So the, I think that that is, it's really interesting that that whole thing with the gear, I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, Every time I pick up a Nikon, I go to turn the barrel and I'm just like, what the heck is happening here? Yeah. Um, so moving towards freelance, you had some really cool opportunities this summer and, and early, you know, early in the maybe late spring and into the summer. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear about your coverage of the fires here in Oregon. Yeah. Because that, that while I, you know, I mean, here in Oregon, we've seen tons of pictures and videos and all that stuff. And we're, we're kind of, I don't, I don't want to say we're used to it, but we've kind of embraced that fires are going to happen here now. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that's scary. People are aware of that, but I felt like the, the work you put out this summer down in Southern Oregon was, was kind of different level for me. I, I was looking at it and it just made the whole thing feel very real to me. And I'd love to know more about, you know, first of all, how you ended up shooting that, but also what, tell tell me about the personal connection that you have to that specific area. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm from a small town in Southern Oregon, pretty close to, so it was the Alameda fire was started right outside of Ashland and burned part of Ashland and then ran just rapidly through Talent and then Phoenix and just devastated mainly a lot of the lower income areas, like a lot of the trailer parks and just because they just lit up so quickly. Um, and yeah, just rushed quickly through the towns. And then there was another one that got started and it like ran through this greenway trail along to Medford, which is the next bigger city, which is one of like the, it's the biggest city down in that Southern Oregon area, right before you get to California. Um, so I, I grew up in a small town about 45 minutes from where, 45 minutes to an hour from where that fire happened. But then I moved into Ashland to go to Ashland high school, um, with my mom in high school and lived there, um, until I went to college. And my brother lives down in, in that area. And my sister also was about to move down to that area. And her and her husband had a rental home that burned in the fire. And then my brother lives right in that area and he was able to, um, to fight the fire and save his house. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, when the fire was starting and like we were, me and my mom and sister were on a group text with my brother and his girlfriend and like trying to be like, are you guys okay? And we were watching on, like, I was just refreshing Twitter and watching and seeing like friends from high school posting about it and and then my my good friend Mason Trinka, he went down. I think he went down that night it first started, and he documented it for the Washington Post. And um, so he was staying. He's married to my best friend, so I'm really close with them. And she mm-hmm. also grew up. She grew up right next to me, about 45 minutes from it. So so he stayed with her parents that night, and then was up really early documenting it the next day. So I was talking with him and talking with um, my brother and my brother was like not texting us back. And we were just like freaked out. Like, is he okay? Right, and my, right. my, my sister was like, I want to call him. And I was like, no, Rose, like if the world was ending, both of us know our brother is like the first person we would want on our team. Like he's going to be okay. <laughs> and <laughs> right. he did wildfire fighting um, years ago too. So, so yeah, we were all really worried about him and but they were able to to save their house and but yeah I was following it very closely and then was able to get to get on with the New York Times to cover it and went down just a few days after after it started that weekend to photograph just the how the community was was coping coping after the fire went through so it was very a very personal it's probably one of the the first things I've done that felt like that close to home, which made it really difficult. But then it also, I felt really grateful to be the one that was able to document it just because it was so close to my heart. And just because I, I care so much about this community and, and how everyone can, can come back together and rebuild. It's really devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been down again since then? Yeah, I went back down again and stayed with my brother um, pretty shortly after and checked in with some people. And I've been staying in touch with some sources down there and kind of trying to to see how people are still coming together. And the Latinx community was really impacted down there because a lot of the areas um, 
that really heavily burned were where this community lived. So I've stayed in contact with some of the, there's a group of a few different women that are really instrumental in helping, helping this community and try to find resources for relocation and just trying to get people back on their feet. So I'm hoping to, to make a trip down there again soon to, to talk with people. And I want to continue, just continue documenting. Yeah. Documenting the story. Yeah. That's interesting. So obviously you having worked in at papers in different cities, having gone to journalism school, how did you connect with, I mean, is the New York times, did you already just have a relationship with somebody there? Or was that, or was that, you know, how did that work? Yeah, I think, I think I, I've gone to a few different photojournalism workshops throughout the years, which I know have been, have been really helpful just with um, the workshops where we're actually out photographing have been a really good learning experience. And then the conferences are a chance to listen to speakers. And I, I think my first connection with them was meeting someone at one of the conferences when I was working in Indiana who connected me to get on their freelance list initially because they didn't have someone like right in that area that I was at in Indiana. And then I, but I didn't end up doing any assignments with them in Indiana. And then when I moved to Oregon, um, I told them that I had moved and was in a new location. I think the first thing I did for them was when the measles outbreak happened in Vancouver. I ended up, I did um, some photos for a story that the Washington Post did. And then the New York Times did a story as well a few days later, and I did something with them. So I I think that was the first thing I did with them. So I was kind of in their system and they knew that, that I was in this area. And then I think they saw that I had done the measles coverage with the Washington post and then reached out to me. So, and then since then I was trying to think back if I've maybe done, done one other thing with them. I think I've just done maybe one or two other things with them throughout then the year and a half after that, before this, before this happened, just because I was still staff at the paper, um, it was just a few things kind of here and there because I was, cause I was still full time. Yeah. What is that, you know, what does it feel like seeing the byline on in the New York times? <laughs> I, 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 they, they have been definitely the editors there have all been so amazing to work with. So I think getting to be, following I know following the photo work of the New York Times has just always been something that I look to for inspiration and the projects that they do and just the the reach they have and the sorry let me pause for a second and find find the right words here I think just the amount of resources that they have and they come together to do these projects and just with all their data visual visualization and photography and words and um, all the research that goes into it. I just, they're one of the most amazing publications, I think. So getting to, to be a part of that team and during the fire coverage, because they had photographers all throughout the West coast and we're like constantly updating the photos. So it felt really, um, I just felt really grateful to get to, to be a part of that and get to show you know, being able to to show people around the country what was happening in this tiny, tiny town that I'm from, it felt, um, yeah, it just, it felt really powerful. And a lot of people from the town I'm from were reaching out like to my sister and to my 
to my parents that that you know were reading it to get information and were like, wait, what? Your your daughter? I saw your daughter's <laughs> right. name. What? That's crazy. <laughs> and I think to but to them to like have this devastating thing happening in our town, but then to see that it was you know someone that that grew up there that was that was photographing it I think felt um I don't know the right word for it but it it just felt I don't think I don't know it feels meaning it's meaningful yeah it gives it it gives them a little extra hey she's one of us yeah meaningful than than having someone that they didn't know maybe coming in to to the big city photographer coming in to swoop in to tell the story yeah and I I think I feel like a lot of like the New York Times and a lot of publications are really good at at finding local freelancers in all these different areas that they're covering to really bring that element into their stories and they have such a huge freelance network across the country and a lot of the a lot of these bigger publications do and I think that um that makes it really special because then it brings those different perspectives into all the coverage that they do no I think that's that's actually one of the more interesting things about the way that um a journalism outlet like the times they are it's kind of contrary in some ways to the the you know kind of the the talk about oh yeah all the photographers are getting you know everybody's getting fired everybody's getting let go and people with their cell phones are replacing photojournalism and it's interesting to me that they do have this huge network and they are still hiring freelance journalists definitely yeah and i mean they have they have such an incredible like core group of staff photographers too that also do travel um and their staff photographers are all incredible but but they're also able to have this network just because their reach i mean they're they're covering such they're covering globally and and nationally they have such a a large reach yeah yeah well those staff photographers send them out on those are you know give me those stories that are those longer term things but Mm -hmm. when they want to grab something that's happening right now in oregon yeah yeah it makes so much more sense to have a really talented person on the ground there that you can just call yeah, yeah, and then they they had photographers up in Portland. I know Christina Baker was was covering up here for them, and Amanda Lucier did. She did um, some coverage for them too up here, and then in Southern Oregon. And they had photographers down in California. So they yeah, they had quite a few people all throughout. And then they sent in. I think they they also might have sent in another photographer a day or two after me, who had done more like active wildfire coverage to go get sure some coverage of because there was some fires that were still active like further down in southern Oregon too so so they had like just quite just a huge array of of all different types of coverage though throughout the area yeah well and and I I don't know if you I think I don't know if you remember but I had I think I Instagram shared the photo that I saw because I'm a New York Times subscriber and I didn't I didn't see you mention it I saw it in, oh okay yeah so i saw yeah. it in real time and i yeah. was like hey i know who that is it's <laughs> like you. i know her <laughs> yeah no it, so it's, it is really cool to see it out in the wild i was just uh i just had i just finished a, a pretty photo shoot pretty big photo shoot on tuesday and it was interesting because it was product photography and the guy i was working with there is the graphic designer said hey here's the we broke it up into a few different chunks and the the first session was like <clears throat> was like a month ago and he's like hey here's the packaging that we use the photos for oh, cool. and it was really cool to hold in our hands and he's a yeah. graphic designer so so he goes oh look check it out and i'm looking at it and there's a picture i took on the side of it yeah and it's <clears throat> when you see the finished product when you see how it's being used 
that's pretty cool. Totally. Yeah. What I was doing is not, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. So, but to see it actually sharing the news to be, have people in your hometown, see it in the newspaper on the internet and have it be telling that story that they're living through. And there's something really special about that. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, it definitely felt really special and it's a, it's a weird thing to, to cover. I mean, it, it was, it's such like an awful and terrible thing that happened. So it's like, I don't, I don't want to be there photographing this terrible thing, you know what I mean? And it's devastating, but, but because, you know, it's, it's happening. And so it's, so it's like, I'm, if, if someone's going to be there and doing it, I'm, I was really grateful that the editors hired me to be that. Okay. So, so so you brought up something interesting there is that when you're, when your primary career, your job is to go and cover stuff that's newsworthy and go to be there and to document that and to have this visual representation of what's happening, but it's a tragedy or it's something that's really, it's really hard. How do you balance that, 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 that you're trying to be successful in your career, you're trying to do the absolute best work. And in some ways, build a name for yourself and in some ways, continue to grow your career, but you're covering these things that maybe you wish weren't happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think something that I always really try to stay aware of in these situations um, is really remembering to be a human first and come in and be really sensitive because we're coming into these moments that you know, these awful things have just happened to people. And we're asking a lot as as journalists and photojournalists for them to open up and, and share this experience when they're still processing everything. So I think that's a really important thing um, as, as journalists to always be aware of is just always being really, uh, really sensitive and honoring that it's their story that they're sharing and how can how can you approach that in a way where they feel comfortable and they, you know, understand what you're asking and what you're, you're asking them to share and that they really feel comfortable, um, comfortable sharing that. And then like with the fires, the hope is that this can bring more awareness to what is happening and bring more aid, bring more understanding to this area and, and this really awful thing that happened there. So, so yeah, I think firstly, that's, that's, a really important thing to always remember when I approach these situations is just how can I, how can I do it in the most sensitive way? And then also this really was one of the first times I had covered something like this. So just having that other community too of, of photojournalists has been really helpful and my mentors and friends in the industry that have been really helpful in in talking about how to navigate these situations and also provide support afterward to, to talk about, you know, the, the trauma that you can experience being around this and, and documenting these events. So I think both of those things are are really important and I'm definitely still learning, learning along the way and, and, um, and trying to, trying to still learn how to navigate these situations. No, I think that's great. One, it's interesting too, because the one part that you're actually helping give voice to them, as opposed to coming in and trying to create a narrative that's, that comes from somewhere else. 
Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, just firstly, just knowing that this is, yeah, this is their story that they're sharing and just trying to to be honest and not, you know, not change anything, but just be very honest and raw and, and share what, you know, what they are, they are sharing with us. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's great because I, right now the ideal of what the idea of what journalism is has become a question. It's, it's become something that people don't necessarily inherently trust. So to, so to know that that's how you're approaching it is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that makes me think too, during COVID, a group of a bunch of different photo organizations got together and created um, the photo bill of rights that is really good and kind of rethinks the whole idea of, of photojournalism and how are we approaching storytelling in a way that really respects the people that whose stories we're sharing and documenting. Um, so yeah, the photo bill of rights and it goes through a lot of different topics. Um, and that's kind of, that's one of them is this year with, you know, with all the protests too, how can we really navigate it in, in a way that, that we're not taking advantage of anyone's story, but we're really respecting, respecting their story. So that, yeah, that brings up a good, a good point. And that's a great resource for people to, to look at, to, to see that perspective. And it was created by a lot of really good photo organizations. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think, I think that's something I'm still, I'm still learning and just trying to talk with other photographers who have a lot more experience than me and building that community that I can reach out to for help. Um, And then during, while I'm photographing it too, and because I'm from there, like the second time, I think it was the second time I went down or the last day, like after when I was not on assignment anymore for the New York Times and was just there saying bye to my family and stuff. I, I took some photos for a local organization that was helping like give back and so that they could have some photos for their website just to help with outreach. So trying to do some things like that, just to, to also give back, I think is good if, if you're able, if you're able to do that. Um, Right. No, I think that's great. So, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, yeah, it's hard to, to put it into words, I guess, because I think I'm still trying to kind of figure out how to navigate that. And it's a, it's a weird thing because you want to be working and you want to, to document this, to, to show what's happening and get this story out there into the world. But then it's also really, it's hard to process too in the moment and when you're listening to these stories and listening to people and um, taking that all in and it's, it can be really intense. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And it's interesting. You mentioned kind of frontline folks. I have a a friend who's a landscape photographer that worked up at Timberline near near Mount Hood. And they had some creeping edges of fire that were coming up towards Mount Hood, right? From from the fires that were happening in the Oregon City area. Yes, yeah. Like out on there. And so he and a whole bunch of just guys that live up there all volunteered and went out and were like helping. You know, guys got there with shovels and, you know, basically just volunteering to put out spot fires. And he loved it. Yeah. And he, and he said, you know, I think I may have found my calling. Really? And he he called up and he figured out, like he called one of the groups that does the trainings. He was like, do you guys have openings? I want to get certified. They said, yeah, we got an opening next week. And he's a wildland firefighter now. 
he had just finished his first deployment to Colorado and they just came wow, home. That's amazing. And, he, and he's yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm looking for a forest, forest service ranger job next year. Cause I, we I, need, I, we need those people and that right. people, I mean, there's those types of people that are just so good at that. Yeah. At that he work. was so, yeah. he was so stoked. He's like, I did my backpacking this many miles and this many, you know, wow. you have, there's all these physical tests you yeah. have to do yeah. to even qualify. And it's funny cause I have, he's, you know, he's a lot younger than me. And I, when I was the year after my senior year in high school, I actually went to wildland firefighter training and I only got deployed to one fire. <laughs> yeah and it was and it was like it was just mop up it was the worst kind of like nothing was in danger at that point we were just basically digging out fire line to just kind of keep something contained yeah but but i i remember how hard the training was and i was i went to training for weeks wow he just cranked through it because they you know they need people yeah they really need people but i find it interesting how he just completely embraced it and he was like a guy who worked up at Timberline, you know, yeah. at the ski resort. And he's just like, I'm in. I'm he's in, full. yeah. And I mean, the smoke up here, like how how did your family do with all the smoke? I, the smoke in Portland, wasn't it the worst? It was, it was the worst all air quality in the world for like a day there, I think. I think it, I think it was even a little worse in Salem. But but up here, yeah, I guess you were down there at the time. And um, people were, I mean, I mean, you just felt like you couldn't even go outside. And I felt- It was so bad, yeah. And, and I'm, I feel really blessed and really lucky because we have really good central air and our house has big double pane storm windows it's Okay. Built, built in the sixties. And it's, I mean, we never even upgraded the windows. So it's just these double pane windows, but it has, it kept all the smoke out. Yeah. So we were like, you'd let the door open to let the dogs out and like, shut the door, you know, yeah. don't, yeah. don't let them. And then, and then make sure they don't stay out there too long. Yeah. But it was wild and we had, you know, I think I changed the air filter in our furnace air conditioning twice because it was so nasty. Yeah, we changed our air filter and then for cars too because I know um, everyone was saying to change your, your car yeah. air filter too right after because that's yep. just, you know. Did that too. Gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one that I change fairly often just because of uh, trips out to the Eastern Oregon desert. They oh, just yeah, dust. Filthy. I usually have to yeah. change them at least two or three times a year. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, so it's interesting. My, that's a long tangent. But yeah, my friend Chris is now a firefighter, which is pretty exciting. And I just told him, like, you've got to make sure you get have the right kind of camera to bring along, you know, to document it. And, and sure enough, he's already started taking some really cool shots from. He took some amazing shots just hiking up in. You're, it's in the line of he's, he's walking along the edge of a, you know, fire line. And there's just a line of like 30 guys all wearing yellow Nomex and they're just all hiking in, carrying all their gear. And it's just cool because nobody ever gets that shot. You know, you have to be one of the firefighters to have that. Yeah, to, especially because in Oregon, the laws are a lot different. So in California, you're allowed to go in and right next to the firefighters and be on the fire line. But Oregon has different laws, so you're not right. actually allowed to go up up close, which is, which is interesting. So it was really hard for – there was a lot of uh, – my friends were up here – covering the fires um down right south of portland and up near detroit and i think it was it was pretty impossible to get to get close to it yeah yeah i have a another friend that's a uh commercial but also landscape photographer that's based in salem and he same thing he was he spends a lot of time up in the uh you know 
kind of up in the Detroit Lake area. Mm-hmm. And the same thing. He's like, I really want to go to shoot, but I can't. Like they don't. Yeah. You're not allowed. You're not allowed in there at all. Yeah. So, even if I could get a, a press pass of some sort, they don't allow that. Yeah. <laughs> so. The Detroit that was crazy. I think the New York Times did a daily episode on the last group of people trying to get out of Detroit, right? And didn't they end up? helicoptering them out i'm pretty sure yeah so what happened is there were there were two fires the beachy creek fire yeah and and i can't remember what the other one was called but there was one that was kind of up in the not jefferson wilderness and then there was one that was on the other side yeah and and they basically merged right on top of the detroit lake town yeah and there was a group of people there and what they had to do is um and i don't remember i think it was a group of firefighters and they actually basically got out topo maps and just took off on back weird like old logging roads and came out at government camp which is kind of crazy but they did they they couldn't get out any normal way so they basically just windy logging roads like a network of them and they finally popped out at government camp so it was just like the the craziest the craziest story but it was like the last minute and they just got stuck there yeah, yeah, because I think I, I think I saw that people were actually like some of the t- the people from the town that were stuck had to stay like near the lake, away yeah. from like the line of trees, and then they were able some fire there were firefighters there too, and they were able to get them out. But it's terrifying and it's scary to think just now. I mean, I the Ashland area where the, the Alameda fire was, it's they never. I mean, no one ever expected there would be a fire right. that big. They're like talking to people when I was down there covering it, it's like people saw that there was a fire, but no one ever thought that it would just burn like right through the town. That was just not like it it was so, it was so crazy. So just to think, yeah. And then we met, we met some people there too. The big story, um, the big written story that I worked on with the reporter, Jack, um, the, one of the main men that we spoke with was from paradise. And so just hearing him talk about, then experience experiencing this all over again he his mm. house like wasn't right where the fire was but he was helping a lot with the aid um he was helping a lot with the aid afterward and just having already gone through this and then seeing it happen again and just how this is gonna happen more and more with climate yeah. change and fires getting so much worse it's oh i know it's scary well and i i uh I have another, I had another friend that I just was scrolling across Facebook when the fires were happening. He's like, um, my house just burned down. Like he just, you know, it was one of those where it was, and his neighbors is completely untouched. Yeah. (laughs) That was, that was the weirdest thing is seeing in some of these neighborhoods. Yeah. And trying, trying to, to show that in photos, how it's like, there would just be this whole area, these whole blocks that, that burned. And then literally right next door, there's a house that's totally fine and then like my sister's now is trying to deal with the insurance and it's like do they do they rebuild or is everyone else going to rebuild and then the like the cleanup fees with cleaning up yeah. all of the the burned rubble on your lot and trying to figure out just it's what everyone is having to deal with now yeah. it's like it it doesn't just end with the horror of your house burning down it's like then trying to figure out everything else after with new housing and then what do you do with if you still have a mortgage and yeah yeah, yeah and it was interesting because that was one of the things that I, I noticed last week he's like okay does anybody know anything about like how i can sell my lot now because yeah yeah <laughs> nobody wants to live here anymore 
and I want to sell it, but how much is it be worth? And like, do you have already... to pay for cleanup or is FEMA going to do that? That's like, yeah, I know people were waiting. I mean, I think a lot of people are still waiting to see if FEMA will help them with, will help with cleanup because that can be thousands and thousands of dollars just to take all the toxic waste off your lot. So maybe FEMA will be more helpful in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. So, Wow. I mean, that's that's a pretty crazy way to spend. I mean, we're, we're already in a really weird world. And then to have all that happen and to be able to go and cover a story like that in your hometown, that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm guessing that will that will be an interesting comma or colon in your life story. Like, yeah. You got yeah. To do that. So moving towards the idea of, of working freelance. I, I kind of know enough about freelance journalism to know that that's a that can be a really tough business to make a living in. Are you considering other kinds of photography as a freelancer? What do you, and, and what are you thinking? What are you what are you hoping to get into? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good question. Definitely. I mean, I know my my heart is really in documentary photography and journalism work, but I've also really enjoyed got getting to to freelance other photographers more in the commercial world too so hoping um hoping to to keep kind of dipping my toes in and learning more about that world as well and i know um like outdoor adventure commercial photography is really big in this area and i've also i've always been you know really in love with all of the outdoor and adventure activities like snowboarding and rock climbing and backpacking and stuff. So, so I'm interested to learn more about that photo world as well. And I know assisting other photographers has always been something I've loved just to get to every photographer works so differently and you get to really learn so much, I think, just from working with other people. So hoping to kind of to do more of that as well and get to work on um, some of my own personal projects to, to, to get into that world as well as personal projects to continue in, in the documentary and, and journalism world as well. So what is, what is personal project? What does that look like for you? What, what is the stuff that you're interested in? Yeah, I think, well, a big one, I really want to continue um, going back down and following the story with the wildfires for sure. And then I, th- I want to, to also work on some personal projects too, just to kind of move into some of the other types of photography I'm interested in. So maybe trying to do something kind of in that outdoor adventure, um, adventure photography world. And yeah, I think, I think COVID too is a good time to really be like brainstorming and working on those ideas when we are, if we do go into another lockdown, this is, <laughs> no right. one has, no one has an excuse to, to not be working, <laughs> working on their ideas, right? Because we have a lot of, of time indoors. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited for what's to come in the, in the new year and get, get to work on some more things. So I think that's great. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I think, I don't, I don't know about what your plans were before before everything happened, before the pandemic dropped. But I had all kinds of ideas. Like this was going to be the year I go and start doing these these wild adventure portrait things. And then then you're not allowed to be around anybody. 
Yeah. I'm like, great. Okay. So I can't bring any to anybody to assist me. And we really can't be out there hiking together. That was, I literally had like four shoots lined up for Yeah. April. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just fell apart. And, and then it seems like more and more of the stuff I'm doing now, it's like, I'm shooting by myself or, you know, very, very limited uh, yeah. contact with people. And yeah. It's, how, it's has, been... how has it changed for you? Like how has, cause did you have a month or two there where you did nothing? And then how no. has like this, how has this summer and fall been for you? Uh, well, I had, so when we were going into March, I, I did my last kind of personal branding shoot for yeah. a client and it was supposed to be like a full day. Um, I had a full day booked and she'd paid, you know, paid the initial down and everything. And we shot the first half and then we just, we ended up canceling the second half. And that was my last paid shoot. And I didn't shoot again until I had a little tiny kind of, not documentary, but a, but, but kind of a documentary style shoot for a nonprofit in late May. So I had nothing from, you know, the first week of March to like the last week of May and then nothing. I just, it was dry. And then I started picking up some real estate photography for uh, um, another local photographer that has a, a real estate photography service. I started shooting for him some and I ended up doing enough volume of that to kind of start almost having like a regular full-time amount of income starting in July. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Which was uh, not July, I guess August. Yeah. So I so I started doing a bunch of that, and then picking back up again. Yeah. Then people started. I started getting a little the occasional headshot, and and then I did my first um, group headshot um, session here about a month and a half ago, where I, you know I'm like I'm there all day, and people come through, but it was so weird to do it in like COVID style, right? So you've got all the hand sanitizer and the wipes and all yeah. the masks and all the stuff and the don't come in here when there's anybody yeah you have to text yeah. the, text the receptionist and the receptionist lets them know when it's okay to come in after we've wiped everything down yeah um, and then i'm going out and getting fresh air between and just it was wild so yeah. i've had all that happening and then i just finished doing a big uh, a product a full product reshoot for a local company um, oh, doing cool. Okay. Doing their whole their whole catalog. So that's been that was a studio shoot, which was kind of yeah. interesting. Me and like the graphic designer. Yeah. Um, and then I'm actually doing a few of them. I'm going to set up the studio setup here at home and finish some of the products. Just oh, good. But it's okay. been it's been interesting because I I feel like I've started getting busy again, and uh, and I picked up work that I wouldn't normally do. Um, yeah. It's kind of changed. Portrait, it's changed things. Yeah. 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 I did a senior portrait a month ago. I did. Uh, I've done a couple of dating profile photo shoots. Really, that's um, so funny. I was wondering if if that was a thing. That's so funny. I'm like, that would totally be a, a genius thing. business idea. Is to be like, do you want better photos? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, so this is really funny because so I have one company that I've done. I think this is like the fourth shoot I've done for them. Yeah, and I can't even. I'm not even really sure. Um, oh, Thumbtack was how they found found me. Okay, I was using. Thumbtack is kind of a freelance yeah. way, a way to find freelance work. And it's not great. So if anybody from Thumbtack is listening or if anybody's listening and has great experience with them, I'd love to hear your story. So reach out. But I, I don't know. They reached out. I was like, we're looking for dating profile shoot, uh, uh, dating profile pictures. And then what's interesting is they have this, this whole deck with like samples. Yeah. And they're really specific. Like, please limit the amount of bokeh. 
the out of focus, you know, huh. the shallow depth of field. Because apparently, cool. when people look at the photos, if it's too professional looking, yeah, then people assume that it's oh, fake. you went and got a professional yeah. head, you know, professional yeah. photo portrait session done. And so it's really weird to try to make it look like they're snapshots. Yeah, like you want it to look candid. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm going through and I'm making sure that it doesn't have too much of my style on it. Yeah, we don't we don't have too much shallow depth of field. Yeah, the lighting's not too good. You're like, do you want uh, me to just photograph this with my iPhone? And then well, so it's funny you say that because I think right at the beginning they said if you if there's a couple of shots that you can where you can get a good iPhone shot, do those two. Yeah, that's so. Funny. And so yeah, so it's it's been really interesting, and I've done one of them was was from that agency another one was actually a friend who she put together she said hey can you do my new headshot for my consulting work mm-hmm. and can i can i get a few photos i can use on my dating profile and can i t- you take pictures of me and my two-year-old oh so it's just a whole so, it's like a whole mixed yeah. mixed photo so shoot. yeah family family with the baby headshots all lit and everything and then dating profile with like a little more casual outfit with a, a little more like a little more normal lighting so yeah. it's been weird I've done a bunch of that and um it's been an interesting yeah run but I, I can't like sometimes like people go what kind of photographer I'm like well commercial but I also do a bunch of other stuff yeah yeah because you don't really you know there's not a whole lot you turn down when the work is, uh, is scarce yeah yeah and it's it's weird right because covid is has really just been getting worse. It's not like it's really started to get better and now with winter yeah. coming, but things weirdly started to open up again, which I guess is why it's not getting better. So it's just been a weird <laughs> we're all learning how to be more careful, but then there's a lot of people that that are being less careful now. So it's it's just yeah. weird to know it's so unsure of what's gonna happen this winter. But hopefully I mean hopefully it can start to get get better yeah. again soon. So well, I think I think even if you're somebody who knows the truth mm-hmm. and knows you should be careful, yeah, I, I've heard them talk a lot about that the um, the fatigue yeah. from all of I've, this yeah. is is making even smart people who normally would be yeah. careful and believe the science. They know the yeah. truth, and even they start to do things that are a little careless. Yeah, you kind of I've I've noticed that because my um, my sister just had a a baby during COVID. And so I haven't been in her apartment since March, since this all started, but my mom is in her bubble and is in Portland right now. So they'll all see each other, but I can only see them outside. But sometimes when we're all together, it's like, I am very careful around them, but then it's like, you know, they trust me. So then they're like, well, like, well, maybe you, you know, like, well, maybe we could hug or something. And then we have to like, well, no, like, you know, no, we have to be, it's so easy just yeah. in that moment to be like, oh, but like we could give each other a hug and, but we have to be careful. We can't, you know, and we have to keep our masks on and, and stay far apart, but it's, it's hard. It's a, it's really hard, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully this winter. Well, I think, and I think being, yeah. And I, and I think being a photographer is an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I, I find that I'm always showing up and, you know, kind of, like if I'm going to be outside or I'm going to be by myself, I'm like, I don't really need to wear a mask, but there are certain times where I'm, I'm, you know, vigilant about it. Like, nope, we're, we're doing this. We're doing it the right way. And you're staying over there. Yeah. 
and it's, it's hard I think with, it's with photography. Yeah, like you said, it's a it's you always have to. Do you, have you noticed like it's really hard to connect when you're taking yes. photos of someone because you can try to connect with your eyes, but it's I'm so big on smiling. I'm like always smiling, mm-hmm. and so when you can't connect and make someone feel comfortable, it's like it's it can be really challenging. It's very very challenging. I I did uh, like last week. I just had I had an all day long. You know, I was doing uh, headshots all day and people were coming in and doing our thing. And, and it was really interesting to have, like, I was never closer to them than, you know, eight, nine feet. I actually had a pretty elaborate setup so that I could do that. And it was really interesting. Just all the things that normally work did not work. Like, I'm trying to express to them, like, how do you, what do I want you to do? And it was weird. I had to like, I felt like I was yelling to, so they could hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Through, cause through the mask, it's like, yeah, that was a really tough thing covering the fires too, with talking to people about these really intense and personal, this like really intense thing that had just happened to them and then not having the mask on because of COVID right. and because of the smoke, but then trying to, to talk with them and understand and have them feel comfortable and, you know, explain why I was there and wanting to take photos and that it can be really challenging because it's yeah it's just really hard to to make that connection I mean I guess doctors deal with that all the time when they're wearing masks there's memes there's memes about that right yeah 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 (laughs) like we can deal all day long wearing these even in normal circumstances yeah get your act together yeah yeah so if anybody's unclear here I am pro mask Yes, yes, yeah. they're very, very important. But and now it's easier to, you know, you can you can get the N95s too. So for yeah. a lot of photographers, you know, are able to get a hold of N95s for photo shoots and yeah, we safer. have a little, we have we have a batch of them. Yeah, yeah, those are those are definitely those are hard harder to wear for a full like eight eight hours. I flew once during COVID and I wore an N95 with another like cloth mask over it for the whole time, like didn't take it off to drink water or anything for the entire time from like walking yeah. into the airport to walking out. And I was very parched by the, by yeah. the time I took it off. <laughs> You're like, um, I'm going to be in a flying tube. Yeah. Recycled air. I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. Yeah. I had a whole, I wore like a sweatsuit that I, that I then I had like shorts and a t-shirt underneath, but I took that off and put it in a plastic bag before I got into my friend's car and switched my mask and I had glasses on and I, but I pretty much, I could have worn like a full paint suit, you know, that could have been the next level, but I did pretty much everything besides wearing the full like hazmat suit. So yeah, you should just wear coveralls next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just zip exactly. them off and you're fully yeah. dressed in a normal outfit. Underneath. Yeah. I almost did that, but yeah. Next well, time now, maybe. next, now, you know, now you know, I'm, I'm planning a photo trip to the Southwest that I'm probably going to fly in, I think like January, maybe. And yeah. I was seriously considering like, okay, how do we do this in the absolute best way? And I was like, so that's, that's given me some ideas. Yeah. And some airlines are much better than others in terms of cleanliness and safety. So that's easy to find online and get recommendations for. So. Yeah, exactly. So the, so you're, you're, you're doing the freelance thing. What are you, have you, you asked me what I've been up to. Aside from the photojournalism freelance work, have you been doing anything else that's outside of photojournalism freelance so far? 
A little bit, yeah, a little bit here and there, kind of just getting started, like I said, with assisting a few different things. And I've done some video as well, so trying to do a little bit of second shooting for assisting for video too. Um, and then just picking up a few little jobs here and there with like with assisting or helping people out with things that aren't um, that aren't always directly going out and, and taking photos, right. but more computer work and things like that. So yeah, and then trying to, to, you know, reach out to more um, like educational outlets here in town to do, you know, event photography and things like that for them um, to get started. So, so yeah, trying to do different, some different things here and there, but I'm really just at the, at the beginning. Just so yeah, just getting cool. rolling. So I have my, my long to-do list of all the the different people I've started to reach out to and and I'm still planning to reach out to. So that's great. Yeah. But but well, yeah, I've done I'm excited lots for of, you. Yeah, thank you. I've done lots of things here and there. Everything from like dog walking to, you know, <laughs> all all different sorts of things to to make it work. So maybe I'll bring back I'll bring back the dog walking here and there if I if I need it. <laughs> hey, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do and, and yeah. dogs are cool. So yes. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That will be that will be my first point of business when we get off the uh, off the call here is yeah. taking my my dogs are ridiculous. They they have like internal clocks and they know when it's They know. Like we're at this point we're like 45 minutes past when they normally get to go. Yeah. Um so I'm sure my I'll come out here and my wife's going to say like what are you doing? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These dogs won't leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. This has been awesome. Yeah, I, thank you so much. I find it a I find it a really fascinating world. I love hearing how other people are making it work, and I I think it'll be really cool because I already love your work to see what you do and how you take that into this new world where you know, like we t- we talked about our friend Leah Leah and and how her and Chris they have this photojournalistic vibe, but it's this branded lifestyle stuff. And I think you have a skill set that will serve you really well mm-hmm. as, you, as you start moving into anything like that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. So what, um, if people want to know more about you and want to see what you're, what you're up to, if they want to see the freelance work you're doing or any of the others, anything in your portfolio, what's the best place for people to, to check that out? Yeah. I think both Instagram and my website, um, I always try to keep my website really updated. I'm kind of doing a, a revamp and redoing it for this this next chapter. So my website will be the same address, but but will be you know developing and changing here soon. But so it's cool. jusevic.com. and then my Instagram is a great place, and that's obviously much more instant with with new work. So that's my name, Alicia. Jusevic, did so you just say your Jusevic. your website is your last name? Yeah, it's super rare Solid. to get that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had someone. I had like a second cousin, or maybe it was like an my uncle uncle once removed, or someone emailed me at one point years ago and was like, "I just tried to buy Jusevic.com and I saw you owned it, so we must be related." And it inspired. It was like my the uncle of my I'm something a few times Dang. removed and it inspired my aunt to have a family reunion because oh, of wow. the name. So I, I, uh, yeah, got pretty lucky with that. I can't believe I didn't bring that up earlier in the call. We could have totally <laughs> yeah. been on that. That's awesome. Yeah. See, I felt like I was like, I, the fact that I have danhawk.com is kind of crazy. 
you know, if you, if you think about it, because I don't yeah. have, I don't have the handle on any of the socials because I didn't think about it. Yeah. You know, at, at the time. Um, but yeah, I was early What nobody really knows is that I have, I had a music career. So yeah. I, I, I had an album, I, it's on iTunes. You can yeah. go look me up on, you know, and you can find my music. Yeah. And so I, my, my website was a music website long before I ever did photography. Yeah. So okay. I, so I just have had the domain name forever, but whenever, whenever I see somebody who has like the short, like just the, your name, that's pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I got lucky. It's a good one. No, that's great. Um, so one more thing that I, this is surprising you probably, but is there anybody that you think I should talk to? You have any suggestions? Oh, for, for the Portland area or it doesn't, doesn't have to be Portland area. It can be anybody. Oh gosh. There's so here's, many, here's, so many here's the criteria. People. I'm looking for people <laughs> who are interesting. <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's pretty broad. Oh but, my gosh. Um, I mean, there's so, there's so many great people. Are you looking for certain types of photography? I know. Nope. Just anyone. I know. I mean, gosh, Portland has so many amazing people. I know Holly, Holly here in Portland. Um, she has a really amazing artistic style and is would probably be a little bit of a different type of photography than other people sure. you've talked to. What's um, your last name? Holly Andres. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm saying, I think I'm saying that right. So, and she, yeah, she's wonderful, but I'm trying to think of people. Yeah. That they're style is totally different from, from some of the other photographers you've talked to. Um, and she's, she's really wonderful. So she, she okay. might be open to it. Paul, I mean, I think Holly would be, I always love talking to her about, about her work and I've gotten to assist her a few times here in Portland. So I think she, cool. she could be a really fun person to talk with about her journey. Nice. In photography. Okay. Yeah. And she's done teaching here in Portland too. So she has a really, um, I think she has a really good story and a really interesting path too in the work that she's done here. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to make that make that happen. Yeah. Um, another photographer here in Portland, Gia Gia Goodrich. Um, oh yeah. I've heard, and she has like an amazing series of YouTube videos she's been doing for educational. Um, she did one on um, on like how to how to position yourself for zoom and facetime like right. during I saw that yeah during covid that went viral but um yeah. she has really really amazing um beauty and fashion work here and she's done some documentary work too over the last few months Definitely. but she i think she would would be great to hear more from her and her journey in photography. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we've had her we've had her for some ASMP events and yeah. she's 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 been a member for a long time. So I'll definitely have to reach out to her because yeah. she has she has a really interesting perspective. Yeah. Cool. Good be, suggestion. Yeah, lots of people. Leah and Chris too. They'd be yeah. that would be fun to do a duo. Yeah, a duo for sure. On here. But haven't done that yet. But, yeah, that um, could be fun to have two. They're people. good and they're and they're great. They're great people and it, it'll be fun to dig in a little deeper with them. So yeah. I, I should definitely make that one happen. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Oh yeah. Thank you for taking the time. This is a um we're both sitting inside and it's beautiful it's one of our last probably bluebird days here in uh, portland before it gets all before it starts to change so yeah on halloween it's maybe it'll snow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so get outside and enjoy that sunshine while it's still happening that's that's what i'm gonna do i will yeah thank you you do thank you so much for spending this time with us if you like what you heard please subscribe share it with your friends and leave a review on apple podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice 
Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.